Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris joined as always by patrick benedorti and surfer himself john daigle john it's that time of the year you know we've only worked together for like a year it feels like a little bit longer it seems like so much longer (laughs) Um, but what i do know about you is that you do find time to get away Last year, it was for work, and last year, it was for the Women's World Cup in France. Uh, This year, obviously, that is impossible to achieve, Uh, but it certainly seems like you're making the most of your summer, John Daigle, and most recently, on a wakeboard slash surfboard in some lake unknown somewhere in the middle of the U.S.? Not for everyone, but in my older age, (laughs) I've realized that that month away is so important for keeping fresh for the grind of the regular season. So, yeah, I've tried to factor in at least a month just to get away and get off completely outside of news. But, yeah, it was a surfboard and also along these drives I've been doing from Connecticut to fishing in the outskirts of Ohio in the forest to coming back down to Texas to see family, now to the mountain time zone of Colorado to play golf and hit the water with friends. Uh, (laughs) I've been discovering while listening to podcasts on these 13 plus hour drives that I have a few notes for you, Josh, okay? Because as you said, you said, as always, Patrick Doherty on Thursday. I haven't been here as always. I've been gone the past two weeks. I'm here now, but I've taken a couple of notes moving forward for you. Give them to me. The Roto World Podcast has been in my rotation. I, I, I need I need feedback. Feedback is is always exceptional. Um, hopefully, it's some criticism involved. I, I deserve some criticism along the way here, John Dick. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit. For one, I think it's going to be outstanding whenever Josh Allen leads the Buffalo Bills to the division-winning <laughs> AFC East and goes into the playoffs and just knocks Pat Doherty off his high horse completely. That's yeah, Josh Allen's already been to the playoffs. He played really well. Have not led the division yet, though. Uh, they will this year. Uh, you are welcome for all the Australian fans because they obviously heard that I lived in Melbourne for two years. That's why they listen to the podcast. You are not welcome for all the Lithuanian fans because I've never been there and I have no idea why they're listening. Although Great. I do appreciate it. That's terrific. Uh, please stop speaking bad about Daryl Henderson behind my back because I'm always watching. <laughs> Daigle, to be fair, you were supposed to be on that episode. You know, and there were, some, there were some technical difficulties. So that was going to be a direct message directly to you, but you backed out. So I still had to you say it. To I wasn't going to back out. Exactly. And finally, uh, I know everyone's been waiting to hear. I have not broken 100 on the golf course yet. So don't worry about it. We're still um, working towards that goal. 
I do want to go back to the video that you posted on social media. It was you on a wakeboard, surfboard, catching a beer, face planting. Pat, what would be the price tag that we would have to pay for you to attempt such a feat? And how long do you think it would take for you to actually stay up and achieve the, the monumental feat that John Daigle did? Well, I'm an extremely risk averse person, but like that is at least on like the ground, so to speak. I'm not afraid of the water. I'm a good swimmer. Uh, I actually would attempt that, but I could not stay on the board because it's a skill I have never developed. Um, I have very good hand-eye coordination, so I could catch the beer, but I would face plant uh, much quicker than our dear friend John. What, what was the end goal there, Daigle? The beer wasn't open, was it? Okay, so it's like how your dog or cat, when they stare out the window, and one day you may leave it open while going out to get the mail, and they run through and they stop because they never thought about part two of that plan. Like, they never know <laughs> what they're going to do when they get outside. Right. Uh, I had the can, and I guess it was, I was trying to stay on the board, which, by the way, had never been on a surfboard in my entire life before yesterday, and then it got to the point where I could one-hand the rope and one-hand catch. So, great progress. But... Uh, I guess I wanted to then, what my immediate thought was... Smash it on your head. Well, smash it on my knee and then <laughs> chug it like stone cold. That was kind of the goal <laughs> because it always goes back to wrestling. But again, instead, I face planted, which is not a good alternate at all. Uh, well, the point was to make the video. Uh, by the way, what kind of beer was it? Um, oh, this is going to ruin my reputation. It was a seltzer, actually. Oof. oof. You should have just lied. It was, uh, it was uh, not about the breeze, to be fair. It was a lone star. Um, but Josh has a few. John had some. I have some complaints for Josh. This is actually oh, a more no. direct criticism of Josh. Oh, no. Still pronouncing my name wrong. It's Darty, Darty not Dor. You always say Doherty, though. It's Darty. You just I, nailed I, it there. No, I, I, I just think as the years go on, your hearing gets worse. It's not my pronunciation. It's just actually. <laughs> I just want to say too, uh, in lieu of taking a month off this summer, which I would have liked to do, I've decided to have a third child. Um, right. So. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30 pound sea bass, and a 10 inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Similar plans. <laughs> but life still remains exactly the same for me. So uh, maybe one day I'll get to, you know, participate in either of those efforts that both of you are doing right now. Um, okay, so let's get into football. Today, you know, this summer, we have already 
recorded plenty of podcasts about a league that we don't know exactly when it's going to start, about preseason games that we don't know when those are about to begin. Um, but we have covered so many bases um, in fantasy football this offseason. Now, a lot of that are positives. And I think it's easy to talk about players that we like and that the fantasy football world likes in general. So today I gave you both some homework um, to talk about players and make the case for players that no one else wants to make the case for. Because someone is going to draft every single player, obviously, on a draft board during your fantasy draft. But I think all of us, and again, this football bubble that we live in, avoid the same types of players. So hopefully we discuss six of those names and try to make the case and, you know, exit group think just a little bit. We did not designate who was going to go first, but I will force John Daigle to go first today. This practice was a tad hard because not only has it been a lengthy off season and a different one, and that a lot of people have talked about everyone to this point. Um, but it's just hard to find these players that no one's really hit on hitting on or high on. And I don't think people are talking about Chris Carson enough as a legitimate RB one. You can get to start the fourth round. Uh, recall 19.3 carries per game last year on 72% of Seattle's offensive snaps. And that was while Rashad Penny was healthy. He didn't tear his ACL until he started being involved more in the latter half of the year. But as it stands for week one, Carson remains entrenched as the team's week one starter. We know Penny, all signs point to him beginning on the pup list and missing the first six games, which is a giant red flag for his status throughout the entire year, not just the first six games. And I believe Chris Carson's ADP has fallen recently, jostled just a hair, but fallen just enough the past month because of the Carlos Hyde signing on May 23rd. However, they play similar roles. And this is a team that couldn't get anyone involved behind Carson while he was healthy. So if Carson comes back from this offseason hip surgery healthy and they haven't said anything like they've said about Penny to where he's going to be lagging when he returns, then I think Carson walks right back into that bell cow role. And as we know, it is so hard to find someone legitimately labeled a bell cow in the third, fourth, fifth rounds. And Carson's just that. I mean, you make a great case for cut. I mean, the thing is, so yeah, the Seahawks, uh, you're always going to get a lot of injury information from Pete Carroll, uh, how reliable it is, uh, is always up for debate. But <laughs> so the fact that Pete Carroll like isn't like a spewing sunshine about Rashad Penny's injury timeline pretty much tells you he's going to begin the year on the reserve pup list. So Penny will be kind of out of the equation and, he has been, again, you can't take everything Pete Carroll says at face value, but he has been adamant basically from like February that Chris Carson will be ready for week one. Uh, it hasn't suffered any setbacks. It does seem like Chris Carson will actually be ready for week one. Uh, the only thing is, so he's probably going to be healthy, but uh, we know about the, it's not just the hip with Chris Carson. This is a very long concerning injury history for a player who runs so violently. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carlos Hyde is not the concerning. Carlos Hyde's not going to, like carve out like an every he's not gonna be like an every down third down back like there's no like obvious role for Carlos Hyde to carve out in the Chris Carson backfield and I agree that his current ADP uh, he's a bargain and uh, probably you wouldn't want to preferably you wouldn't draft someone coming off this very serious hip injury but yeah he's going to be healthy uh, we know what a fantasy producer he is when he's healthy um, and uh, yeah my way too long-winded way of saying I agree with John Daigle 
You know, a better host would have set this topic up a little bit better because I think there's multiple avenues we could go down for what this topic actually means of making the case for players that no one else is making the case for. Some of it here is that I think Chris Carson's kind of just slipping in the cracks of fantasy football drafts and just, you know, isn't really a lightning rod type player that people feel the need to discuss. The other part of that is just people dislike certain players, right? They, they don't, they, it's like a, they're on their do not draft list. Chris Carson, I don't think that applies to at all. And it's interesting because just looking at the FFPC ADP recently, and it's changed quite a bit in the last few weeks, and that's wonderful for our ability to talk about this. Um, but, you know, there are players that are above going above um, Chris Carson right now who don't have the backfield to themselves. I mean, there's Jonathan Taylor, the rookie with Indianapolis Colts, who Marlon Mack is you know, coming off maybe as good of a season that Chris Carson posted last year. And we just expect, you know, Jonathan Taylor to have that backfield. David Johnson is ahead of him right now. You know, Melvin Gordon, who Pat, you and I have talked about in previous weeks. Um, you know, Carlos Hyde has even gone on record to the local media and saying, yeah, we know that Chris Carson is a starter in this backfield. So to me, in an offense that if Chris Carson is healthy entering, which he should be, this is already a team that has stuck by him through thick and thin, through fumbles and not and wrote his production. And I, I don't understand why there's any question that he's not going to be their lead ball carrier in 2020. I think Hyde's presence does actually bring a, a certain pause for people right now. But again, you have to make an argument as to why the Seahawks won't run a similar offense as they've done the past however many years under Pete Carroll, as opposed to them actually going as Russ hinted he wanted to be more of an aired out aerial attack offense. We still believe they're going to be a run first team and Carson would obviously lead that approach. I guess it's just pop. maybe the only, not only, but maybe the risk is that the Seahawks have just decided Chris Carson can't stay healthy on like these bell cow type workloads and they are going to be committed to scaling it back, but they haven't said that. And uh, Carlos Hyatt, you know, he is someone who has more than once thwarted and subverted fantasy analysts uh, expectations. So I guess we can't uh, write him off completely, but I think the John's uh, reading of the situation is hundred percent correct. And we've seen Chris Carson get 20 plus touches in like five straight games last season, you know? So th this is a offense where very little has changed. And again, if all the pieces come back healthy in like the order that they're supposed to, then Chris Carson should lead that backfield um, and touches. All right, I'll go next. I'm not sure where this one fits on the spectrum either. Um, but let me talk about, let me talk about Stefan Dix right now. He's, he's the wide receiver 27. 68 overall. And look, this is the time of year where everyone hypes up rookies, right? And so often, you know, draft capital is attached to opportunity or projected opportunity. And I, I bet, you know, if we got Hayden Winks on the phone, he has some formula that shows just how much you invest in a player is how much opportunity they get um, with their team. Stefan Diggs was the Bills' first round pick this year. You know, he, he's going to get the opportunity. And this is a team that has made improvement after improvement each year of the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott area. They've made smart decision after smart decision. Yet right now in fantasy drafts, Stefan Diggs is being treated like he was a bad decision. You know, he's outside of the wide receiver two area at his position. You know who the wide receiver 28 was? Again, Stefan Diggs is being drafted the wide receiver 27. That was Golden Tate. Wide receiver 29 last year, that's Sterling Shepard. John Brown the team's leading receiver last year 
was the overall wide receiver 21. Actually, that's on a per game basis. So that's even better. So I, I don't understand this idea that the Bills are enabled to support a wide receiver that can hover, if not be, in the top 20 wide receivers um, at the end of the season. Because John Brown basically did last that last year, and Stephon Diggs is just a better version of John Brown. Got a lot of thoughts. Uh, first off, is Steph Diggs' ADP a Josh Allen tell? Uh, you know, people have inflated Josh Allen's ADP up to QB7, but maybe Steph Diggs is, is kind of like people like secretly realizing to themselves, like, oh, maybe this isn't as good of a situation as we were leading ourselves to believe. And just like independent of Josh Allen, maybe with Steph Diggs, it's the fact that, you know, he has – Almost every year picks up a lingering injury. I said inconsistent roles. You know, two years ago, used very close to the line of scrimmage. Last year, finally unleashed down the field, which, you know, where he can be a special explosive player. Um, but we know Josh Allen, extremely inconsistent down the field, basically like a, a power pitcher who can't locate the strike zone. And, uh, you know, it's too, it's not like he is the number one weapon, but I mean, Steph Diggs is going from a run heavy offense to a arguably even more run heavy offense. And hmm. I, I think Steph Diggs is too good of a talent to have being drafted as a wide receiver three. So I agree with you that his ADP is too low, but I definitely understand kind of like the negative case for Stefan Diggs this year. I think the negative case is because he is alongside John Brown now who has shown a rapport that led to his career highs last year with Josh Allen. Like we know Diggs' talent second among all wideouts last year in both yards per route run and yards per target, two key met metrics would usually paint the picture for fantasy success moving forward. But now it's two players doing attempting to do similar things, run similar routes on the outside. Like Diggs is more of the all-around guy who can beat coverage. This is painted in Matt Harmon's reception perception pieces annually that Diggs beats zone and man, no matter the case. Whereas Brown, we know is more of an over-the-top deep burner threat. But it's still another deep threat wide receiver that Diggs will have to compete with downfield. And we know Josh Allen, while he can launch it downfield, hasn't had much success doing so. Just 36 of 31 in his career and attempts 20 plus yards downfield. So it's, it's absolutely not a case for the player. It's a case of there are two guys now competing for this lack of inefficiency downfield as opposed to just one. So now we're also expecting John Brown to play a healthy full season once again for like the second time in his NFL career. You know, like I, I understand that there should be some skepticism because those are three talented wide receivers. But it also needs to be said that Stefan Diggs is clearly the most talented wide receiver in that group. You know, I, I actually think with this Bills team and this passing offense, the goalposts are being moved a little bit because it, we're just acting like this team cannot support someone who has been one of the best wide receivers in the NFL the last two years. Again, Josh Allen supported the wide receiver 21 last year in PP and, and, and full and fancy points per game last season. That's not what like Brian Tannehill did with AJ Brown. That's not what Drew Locke did with Cortland Sutton. That's not what Dwayne Haskins did with Terry McLaurin. That's not what Russell Wilson did with DK Metcalf. None of those guys did that. Josh Allen did that with John Brown. I for believe, eight games. Sure. For, but for, for eight games, for the first half of the season, then the whole offense kind of went off the rails in the second half of the season. But, but I, I mean, I, I believe that Josh Allen can do that with, with Stephon Diggs. I truly do. I, I, John made an, an important point because Steph Diggs is used to playing alongside another talented receiver. You know, he's done that his whole career. Adam Thielen 
But John's right where it's more of like a, a skills and usage overlap with John Brown. And I do think it is a real concern. It's something that's not being talked about. But if we had a bold predictions column, it is absolutely in the range of outcomes that John Brown outproduces Steph Diggs this year. And not because he's a better all-around receiver, just because he has the one-year rapport working with Josh Allen. It, it um, stinks for Steph too, because I mean Josh Allen's probably a quarterback you're going to need some off-season reps with, you know, to get used to his his timing and rhythms, and uh, they do not have that. But Steph Diggs is a special player, by the way. On my Madden dynasty, uh, set a lot <laughs> of records, and if in man coverage, you leave him in man coverage, it's basically a seventy-yard touchdown every time. It doesn't matter know, the difficulty level. You know, I said I truly do believe this. That's probably a stretch because I'm really just trying to make my point here. I think. Like the gist of this entire podcast today is we all don't necessarily truly believe in what we're saying, but we're doing our best to make the case again for players that no one is making the case for. Like, you know, Stefan Diggs and Terry McLaurin are going back to back in FFPC drafts right now. I would a hundred times out of a hundred times take Terry McLaurin in oh. that scenario, right? So it's it's I'm trying to make the case, but I, I feel like I did make one. Here, you know, like we just saw a career year for John Brown. We basically just saw a career year for Cole Beasley. Yet we are expecting like based on comments, not just from you guys, but from everyone else, Stefan Diggs just to have like a, a down year out of nowhere. I, I don't buy it. I don't Dig, buy it. Diggs, Cortland Sutton and Devontae Parker seem to be the three guys that continue to fall as more and more people catch up to uh, their splits and their changes this offseason. And yeah, it just it just sucks because all three are great players, but their situation is not one that's enticing to even talk about. I'll just, I mean, Diggs, we kind of forget, has been an inconsistent player his entire career. And now he's, he's been consistently that, awesome. I mean, he's been very inconsistent. He picks up a soft tissue injury every year and will disappear oh. for five or six game stretches at a time. And last year he was finally kind of moving past that. But now, you know, it's just a new offense with a much more inconsistent quarterback. And I, I, I do understand the negative. Steph Diggs is amazing. He should be one of the 10 best receivers. He probably is one of the 10 best receivers in the NFL. He just can't, kind of can't get in the exact right situation. Still only 26, though. Tons of time to uh, get even better. All right, Pat, you're up. Who are you making the case for that no one else is making the case for? I mean, as you've kind of alluded to, you can find anyone to make the case for anybody. So I'm not going to pretend I'm the only person making the case for this player. But I mean, well, David, do it best. Johnson, do it best. David Johnson is barely being drafted as an RB2. He's currently the RB21. And we've heard a lot. Uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Is kind of, David Montgomery is someone is like, you don't have to love the player. You just have to love the opportunity. And you know, it's all about role and fantasy and David Montgomery is going as the RB26, and you hear that argument applied to him a lot. It should be applied to David Johnson because talk about a tell. Uh, the tell was what the Texans gave up for David Johnson, which was one of the three best receivers in the NFL. And even with Duke Johnson there, I mean, David Johnson is being brought in to be a three-down, every-down player. And you know this should be an offense, even without DeAndre Hopkins, there should be a lot of drives to finish near the goal line. And David Johnson, we don't know how much he has left physically. Um, but we know he's capable of playing all three downs. The Texans have all but, you know, like shouted from the rooftops that that's what they're going to do with David Johnson with the pri trade price they gave up for him. And uh, you don't have to love, you just have to love this role. And uh, to me, RB21 is just too pessimistic on David Johnson. He's going to be a locked in mid range RB2. 
Among these questionable guys we always discuss that have looming concerns, uh, David Montgomery's vision last year in his rookie season was awful. Uh, Todd Gurley, chronic knee injuries. David Johnson, we keep citing his back injury and how he looked like he was running through quicksand last year. But remember, through week six, the first six games of the season, he was the overall RB6 on 17.7 touches per game. He was clearly healthy and performing like the David Johnson we knew. And then that back injury derailed him altogether. And I'm not saying that back injury perhaps doesn't linger over. Maybe it does carry over into this year. But the fact is the opportunity is there, and he's now had a full offseason to recover. The Texans have the most available carries missing from last season's production based most in part to due to Carlos Hyde's uh, leaving now in the offseason. So I think the opportunity is there, and we know, like Duke Johnson's a fun player to talk about. He's a tremendous guy. Don't get me wrong. But we know they already have him pigeonholed as a third down back. They want to mix in at wide receiver reps and then won't get him the ball. That's who he's going to be under Bill O'Brien for as long as he's, he's on the Texans. So David Johnson is a true RB1 or borderline RB1 in my mind still. Um, okay, I'm going to play David Devil's Advocate here. Sure. Right? <clears throat> and I, I'm going to channel Hayden Winks because he's gone on this spiel lately of you know not citing total fantasy points at the end of the season and where a player stacks up and instead looking at fantasy points per game. Because I'm going to you know, say I've always been on that train, by the way. Right. This isn't okay. a, a Hayden creation. Um, got it. Hayden is – we got to keep the on-the-rise employee at Roto-World down. You right. Know, Hayden, Hayden's not that good. Great. He's got not, it. I don't love him at all. He'll just, ha- he'll just have our jobs in two years. Yeah. Um, so what I was going to say is that Carlos Hyde was a top 24 scoring running back last year. I think in standard formats, he was the running back 23. But then when you look at his fantasy points per game, it was like an average of nine fantasy points per game. So like, Pat, that's not, you know, really going to win you your weeks, is it? Like a, a back that is averaging anywhere from eight to nine, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less than that. I understand like, you know, some some type of consistency is is good on a fantasy roster, but do we think that David Johnson has more big playability in him this year, more spike week potential in him? Because I'm not sure if we've seen that out of the David Johnson after his you know first two to three years in the NFL. Well, I mean the huge difference here. I mean David Johnson is one of the most identified with pass catching backs in the entire NFL, whereas Carlos Hyde caught like five passes last year. That's just straight up not going to happen with David Johnson. So the floor will be much higher, even with Duke Johnson there. I mean, David Johnson, you know, on paper is one of the best pass pass catching backs in the entire league. So the floor will just be considerably higher than it was with Carlos Hyde. Even in standard scoring leagues at this point, if you don't catch passes, your floor is very low and your ceiling very inconsistent. So that's just going to be a huge difference between the two. And on that same note, uh, I mentioned David Johnson, overall RB6 through six games. I will say he also averaged 15.2 fantasy points per game in those first six games, which if extended, if he stays healthy over the full season, would have finished sixth overall among all running backs. All right, we're at the halfway point of making the case for players no one else wants to make the case for. If you're checking us out on YouTube, go to your podcast feed, either on iTunes or on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to download the Rotor World Football Podcast. Our entire you know, reason to live at this moment is to help you win your fantasy league. 
So, so do us a favor and subscribe and maybe even leave a rating and review. That's uh, if you're the listening. second reason for me after my three beautiful children, but uh, or two and a half since the third's not here yet, but it is up there. I got I to gotta find a way to open that beer on my knee. But other than that, yeah, I'm trying to live for the people. Guys, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, sell the importance of this podcast to everyone. Okay. Um, all right, John Daigle, we have three more names to mention. You're up first. All right, this is a little wild one since uh, my first option got ruled out by the great Josh Norris. Uh, I'm going with A.J. Dillon here. Now, remember, Aaron Jones played 56% of the snaps and the 13 games Jamal Williams finished healthy and 66% of the snaps and the three games he basically ran wild without Jamal Williams. In those three games as well, Jamal Williams, 44 targets, a 10% share, to Aaron Jones is 47, an 11% target share. Uh, so remember, Matt LaFleur wants to run, wants to use two backs. And in adding A.J. Dillon, he now has a grinder to add to Aaron Jones's receiving efficiency. Um, and drafting Dillon in his 12th round ADP, which is where it stands right now in offseason fantasy football drafts, you get a player that has a role from day one, which is really hard to do in those rounds, even if it's a small role, that one, it's going to be the fruitful touches inside the 10-yard line, right? And the goal line reps trying to bruise through defensive lines for touchdowns that I don't think Aaron Jones will get now that big-bodied A.J. Dillon's in the mix. And then also, he's insurance if Aaron Jones holds out. I don't think Aaron Jones will hold out because he just doesn't have the leverage as a low draft capital running back who hadn't, who we loved, don't get me wrong, in fantasy circles and analyst circles, but hadn't done much or hadn't been given an opportunity to do much like last year. Um, I still think they get a long-term extension done perhaps, but again, it's insurance simply in drafting Dylan in that 12th round, just in case Jones holds out on top of his other usage. Yeah, I think that A.J. Dillon is the closest thing coming out of a draft to Derrick Henry since Derrick Henry. And we know that Matt LaFleur has that history with that style of back. Now, there are obviously some positives to that style. There are some negatives to that style. If you have you know great game script, he is going to be used. Um, if you're in a negative game script situation, then A.J. Dillon is probably just going to find himself on the bench. But there's like a lot of layers here, aren't there, Pat? Because like... These types of storylines repeat themselves every single year. You know, a back who's in the last season of his contract coming off a great year, possibly being replaced because they haven't signed a long-term deal yet. I just wonder how much and how frequent that story is going to find itself being a positive for the rookie this season based on our offseason. You know, like we, we have seen in previous years, you know, those four preseason games, really three preseason games be vital for a running back to obtain and and get a firm grasp on the opportunity. And maybe, just maybe, A.J. Dillon won't have that same opportunity like his predecessors have in the past. Yeah, I mean, you make an extremely uh, important point where we're going to see a lot of like the tried and true rhythms of the offseason interrupted this year. And I would not take a week one role for granted for A.J. Dillon in the corona offseason because – you know, July 28th is going to be like the first day he puts on pads or first day he gets a rep period, uh, you know, of the entire off season. And that's like a really quick learning curve for even a second round rookie to come out and immediately earn a role in a backfield that has two backs that we know the Packers are completely comfortable with. Um, I mean, AJ Dillon could be a healthy scratch week one for all we know. I mean, that's mm. probably not going to be the case because he is a second round pick. And as John said, a very intriguing power back. Um, 
But yeah, I would I would not take uh, any rookie role for granted this year in Week One. But AJ Dillon's is kind of an I feel like an especially precarious situation because the, the Packers we know they're comfortable with these backs, so they don't have to force it with AJ Dillon. Um, but you know maybe they will. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. See, the running back position is one that I wasn't even considering for any COVID hangover. Uh, especially A.J. Dillon's role where... You know, they're inside the five, and we know since he's so much bigger than both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, they're just going to pat him on the ass and say, hey, go run between the tackles, kids. And then he just runs through other defenders. Uh, So that's actually something I hadn't even been considering. And I believe that Aaron Jones had the second most opportunity of all running backs across the league inside the five-yard line last year. So that line of thinking would line up. I mean, I'm just looking at the running backs. i got to say, this is not going to evaporate with Aaron Jones. I mean, we're all like – the Aaron Jones regression train has got like a little bit out of control. It's not like he's going to go from 19 touchdowns to like three, like he's like Leonard Fournette or something. Alvin Kamara did. I mean, to me, eight to 10 touchdowns is a very reasonable expectation still for Aaron Jones as yeah. the lead back still clearly of a, a run first offense now, even though it shouldn't be. And uh, yeah, I, I, we've, the Aaron Jones regression has gotten completely out of control. These are a couple backs going ahead of AJ Dillon right now. Zach Moss. Do we know anything about Zach Moss and the Buffalo Bills? Nothing. I think uh, he's a clearer path to opportunity than A.J. Dillon. They uh-huh. need him to be the number two. The Bills need Zach Moss to immediately be their number two back. The Packers do not need A.J. Dillon to immediately the, be their number two back. But the Bills have Josh Allen competing at running back as well, whereas the Packers only have Aaron Jones. But that's from a fantasy perspective. So, like, Josh Allen could steal any cut out Zach Moss's fantasy legs from underneath them. But I, the Bills – they don't trust Devin Singletary as an every down back. So to me, I think the Bills have a more compelling need to get Zach Moss on the field more than the Packers do with A.J. Dillon. You, you could not have a more drastically different player, but Boston Scott is also being drafted ahead of A.J. Dillon right now. Um, A.J. Dillon is being drafted just ahead of free agent Devontae Freeman. Uh, so it's it's this area of the draft that if people believe in A.J. Dillon, you can absolutely go and get him. Best ball format's probably preferable at this moment in the summer until we, you know, find out more in training camp and find out more news during the offseason. But Daigle, I, I do think that there is a path that at least a handful of weeks this season, AJ Dillon definitely, definitely has fantasy relevance. So I understand. He only, yeah, he only came to mind just because I've been drafting more of him in best ball leagues because he's fallen so much. And I think that's because we are still making a mockery, and rightfully so, of the Packers draft. 
but what's done <laughs> and done. It's in the past now, and we now know the personnel and what their idea on offense is, and I think he's going to be a part of it. And yeah, I mean, they, go ahead. Not to be too – yeah, I'm being a little over – his second round, I mean, uh, draft status is a huge data point in his favor. I mean, clearly mm. the Packers love A.J. Dillon. The other name you wanted to bring up was Kenny Galladay, and I just put the ax on that. No. <laughs> so the thing – I'm not going to talk about him in length, but quickly – the only reason he's not being ta- – like I haven't heard – you said everyone's in his favor. I haven't heard anyone talk about him, and that's because everyone keeps citing Marvin Jones as the best value among that group, but it's not. Kenny Galladay is going like after wide receiver seven, and he has wide receiver one overall potential. Like are you crazy? Marvin Jones is never going to be like a wide receiver 10 in a full season, whereas Kenny Galladay could finish ahead of Michael Thomas this year. That's why I'm angry. Uh, I find it difficult to discuss anyone in this conversation that is going at like the top 10 of their position other than quarterback, obviously. But. Where's he going right now? I'm looking at his ADP. Hey, by the letter of the law, John is right. I mean, there's every year there's people Eight. who are like consensus top 10 that just no one wants to talk about. And uh, yeah, I haven't been hearing, I haven't been hearing a ton of Kenny. You G got, okay. All right. I'll just, you know what? I'll take a break next week and you guys can do the podcast and you know, I'll have a blast. We'll have a blast. We'll all, we'll all look right. in that moment. Go to the mountain time zone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll go next. I'm going to go with a running back. Who's at running back 15 right now, 26 overall. His name is Todd Gurley. Hey, you remember that guy? You remember like the offensive player of the year, just like a couple seasons ago. Um, well, Todd Gurley's back and in command of a featured back, workload we we've questioned the knee obviously he finally got his physical and and that came back solid um this is todd Gurley's fantasy points per game setting and sitting in the last few years 2015 ppr running back eight 2016 running back 15 2017 running back one 2018 running back three and last year he was running back 14 you know so he's even being drafted outside of that running back 14 area and i would say the biggest factor in that drop off was how he completely lacked the same usage in the passing game like he did in the previous two seasons. You know, it was his knee. Well, okay, 2017, he had 87 targets. 2018, he had 81 targets, then went down to 49 targets last season. The, the defenses eliminated those layups that factored into so much of Todd Gurley's production. Well, guess what? Devontae Freeman, who I think all of us can say was a no-show, last year was not a good football player on the field got 70 targets last season at the very least even in the state of however you believe Todd Gurley is in right now I think he absolutely is at least as good as what Devontae Freeman showed last season and so if we get you know an extra 21 targets for for Todd Gurley this season to go along with 200 carries I, I think that could be great value as you're running back two here in drafts. I'm co- totally comfortable, yeah, with Ty Gurley's ADP. Uh, and, like, two huge things working in his favor are, uh, you, know, you know, we are, you said, we've already seen the Falcons, uh, they'll commit to a lost cause at running back, and Ty Gurley might be a lost cause, but they'll commit to it. And, you know, the lack of compelling backups against him. Maybe some Brian Hill truthers might disagree with that, but we've already seen the Falcons, what they're willing to do in this kind of situation, and there's just not – a lot of talent behind him. I mean, still on the concerning end, you know, even the Falcons are giving, you know, on the record quotes about having no idea what to expect from Todd Gurley's health. And you are correct that the collapse of the passing game usage was the biggest factor last year, but we know why it was because of his knee and they don't think they didn't think he could be an every down player anymore. And uh, 
the Falcons, yeah, they're basically public, publicly saying they don't know what they're getting into. Right. So, so the risk is very real, but it, I agree, at RB15, I think he's a very safe uh, two-down investment, and we, he's it's not he's, he's going to catch passes. So, uh, yeah, even if he's an extremely inefficient player, Tiger, I think, will still pretty easily be an RB2. In those first seven games for the Rams last year, he averaged 13 carries and three targets per game. And remember, three targets on a team that targeted their running backs at the league's lowest rate last year um, on 69% of their snaps. And I know we're worried about how they've mentioned not knowing about his health and potentially having him on a particular snap count. But I actually envision that as his usage in those seven games last year, where yes, he can be on a snap count, but the snap count doesn't matter so much whenever he's getting a touch on 75% of those snaps uh, where he's still averaging, you know, 18 touches per game. Cause I expect his target volume to increase this year since he'll be on a team that will not only throw more, but likely target their running backs as they did. So at a higher rate with Devonte Freeman last year. So uh, Todd Gurley, I was happy when Josh mentioned this player, cause he's someone I continue to grab constantly mm-hmm. and sort of buck the notion of, um, bad performance versus volume and just still trying to s- get all these guys like David Johnson, Chris Carson as well, who I perceive to have all the volume despite what their knees or talent may say. Right. Because, you know, the opportunity, like we keep saying, is going to be there. Now, the efficiency probably won't be there nearly as much, right? Because um, I think that we showed that he absolutely is the the type of runner who lacked juice, in long stretches last year, you know, he made a lot of his big plays when corners or safeties near the line of scrimmage tried to tackle him. That's a lot different than the Todd Gurley that we used to see um, in the open field. Now, I'm trying to make the case for Todd Gurley here, but I completely understand where his ADP is right now because, like, the 14 running backs going ahead of him, you know, they're capped off by the likes of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, and Josh Jacobs. Like, no way on earth I'm taking Todd Gurley over any of those names. Mm-hmm. Um, then after him, though, you have, you know, Leonard Fournette. Melvin Gordon, the aforementioned Chris Carson, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, who we've talked a lot about this offseason, David Johnson, the same thing. So, you know, that's a group where some people might say, okay, I want to take Melvin Gordon at the top or James Conner at the top or whoever else. But some people might want to take Todd Gurley at the top. And I I think that there's absolutely a case to make with a lot of names I just mentioned that Todd Gurley will get the most touches in the best offense of all of those as well. And I think that there's something to be said for that. And I I might have gone with Todd Gurley if you had not. So I think we're all on the same page there. Love it. And also no competition. Ito uh, Smith right. and Brian Hill were great in college, but have not shown it at the professional level. The perks of sending the topic email is you get the <laughs> first response in it as well. But And the perks of not having soon to be three children as well. Okay. Um, we've gone through five names. One more left. You're going to close it out here. Mr. Anchor, Patrick Darty. Yeah, I'm gonna not going to pretend I'm the only guy making a case for Daniel Jones, but uh, – I'm not trying to go over the top with Josh Allen negativity, even though I've already gone well over the top with Josh Allen negativity, but like, this is a disconnect. I don't Why is Josh Allen the QB seven and Daniel Jones, the QB 16? Uh, Daniel Jones actually had more spiked weeks than Josh Allen did last year. And he has such a wide variety of uh, like skill players at his, at his disposal. Like he's got the, the big play threat and Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram, He's got guys who will convert layups and Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. Um, he's got one of the uh, premier home run threats in all of football and Saquon Barkley. And 
he's not nearly as big of a rushing threat as Josh Allen, but he still averaged over six yards per carry last year. And where, you know, he's not going to be as big of a big play threat in the passing game either as Josh Allen, but, you know, he's a lot more efficient on the short to intermediate targets. And just considering ADP, I'm not, I don't know if, if you asked me who I thought would in the air more fantasy points, I don't know if I would guarantee Daniel Jones, but just relative to ADP, I would take Daniel Jones over Josh Allen 10 times out of 10 this year. Hmm. I'm, I'm having a real struggle with Daniel Jones at his current slot of where is it, Pat? Quarterback 16, I guess I should QB 16. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you, you can't actually. I thought he was going much higher than that. And I feel like earlier this offseason, he was going higher than that because like Joe Burrow has to pass him at this time. Um, the other quarterbacks just ahead of him are Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers. Look, it's just the position is stacked this year, you know? So like if you're in best ball formats and if you want to go like after that top 12 and go back to back at quarterback, I think Daniel Jones is a great selection there. If you're going to wait all the way and go with like Daniel Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo as your two quarterbacks, like I think there's an avenue for success there as well. You know, Daniel Jones, if you just spotlight him and isolate him, it's funny you say so much negative things about Josh Allen. Um, One, our comments and review section does not like you for that, Pat. But two, I'd be saying fewer negative things about Josh Allen if he was the QB sixteen. By the way, but he's <laughs> that's the QB true. Seven. He finishes the overall QB seven last year. He's not going to be the QB sixteen. Okay, we're moving on. Um, but the thing with Daniel Jones is like he had those like same brain farts, right? Like those same moments where he just turnover machine. Yeah, completely blacked out the defense, anyone that was working around him and just wanted to make a play. I think there's a lot of admirable traits there because of that. Like he is a playmaker. He does want to throw downfield when a lot of other quarterbacks like Derek Carr would just want to check down. Now, the other part of that is that that leads to fumbles, right? And fumbles were a major issue last year for Daniel Jones, some caused by himself, some caused by the offensive line. One, hopefully the offensive line is improved this year, but two, that's probably a trait, and I'm no quarterback guru or whisperer, that's probably a trait that you can improve on that we have seen improved on in the past. So that mentality that we saw with Daniel Jones, which I don't know if a lot of us connected that to Jones entering the NFL, but he is a playmaker. He is someone who wants to throw down a field, and I'm I'm excited to see what happens to him in his second season in the NFL? Because he's, I think he's already surpassed a lot of people's expectations, probably including myself, to be perfectly honest. I will stress this early before we enter the summer months. I don't think you need to draft Daniel Jones in season-long leagues because of his opening schedule. I truly believe he's going to be available on waiver wires by week six, and then you can pounce and jump on him in one-quarterback leagues. He opens against the Steelers, the Bears, on the road, by the way, 49ers hosting them, then against the Rams traveling cross country, and then a divisional game against the Cowboys in Dallas. After those first five games, then he gets the Redskins and, you know, a much easier schedule after that. But I think people will drop him after week four, and thus I would focus on him then as opposed to worrying about drafting him. That is my only concern with him. I think that's a fantastic point. It's a very fair point. And I I probably – Part of we're talking about blind spots here um, for fantasy is probably not looking and caring enough about, you know, their opening three to four to five week schedule. Um, and, you know, at times that's unpredictable, especially week one and probably more so this year. But um, I mean, this year, home field advantage might not be a thing anymore. Right, so, right. Who knows? right. So, so, so that mindset that, that you just brought into this equation, Dago, I think is uh, I think that's fantastic. And in best ball, like a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, you could have because he has right. one of the easiest opening schedules. And thus you can shield Daniel Jones by drafting him, having the easy first five games. And then in best ball, it'll, it'll hopefully unleash Daniel Jones. 
Closing thoughts, gentlemen? Did we cover it all? I think we did a good job. Good job. I think we did. It's good. It's good to be back. And uh, I'm also not surprised you weren't recognized at the wedding, Josh. Other than that, I think we've wow. covered <laughs> everything. Well, let's get out of here with a little zap shot for people on YouTube. You see that? Look at that little man. No, there's not much color contrast there, Josh. I know. Well, look, that's to hide the dog hair. That's to hide the dog hair, Pat. Um, all right. That's going to do it for us. You just uh, shut a blanket. <laughs> he's like a worm, basically. <laughs> he is. Now he just woke up. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday with another live draft, our July live draft. Yes. I know you all are anticipating that. I guess what well, we'll figure out the personnel grouping for we'll that. Talk about it this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> who knows who where's who's gonna be who? Who's where's gonna be where? Um, DJ Short and Drew Silva will be yeah. participating in that. Uh, <laughs> Steve Alexander. Uh, uh actually we'll bring back like Chris Westing and Greg Rosenthal. They'll do it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, that's gonna do it for Patrick Darty, for John Daigle. I am Josh Norris. Up the villas, please up the villa. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.